Lord, thank you for these men that are here again with me early, just to reflect on some things and see the things which hinder us, which um, are threats to us developing into the kind of men that you want us to be. I thank you that we can look at these things together, we can acknowledge them, we can face them with courage, pray that we can move forward through them, that we wouldn't use them as excuses or see them as a, a, a wound which disables us from here on out, but rather... Uh, that we would just be men that are on the alert and be aware of the challenges and we'd face them with grace and truth, encouraging each other, spurring each other on to love and good deeds that you would use these weeks to help us rise up and be the men that the world needs and to move towards that which, Father, you said would bring us life and blessing, would bring you glory and joy and fullness to our hearts. So I thank you for these guys and chances to reflect together. I pray that if we move out of our corporate time here, that we would move into each other's lives. We would not e- leave each other alone to process this stuff, or we wouldn't isolate ourselves on our own to try and figure it out, push through it. But we would seek out other good men as you intended. And as I've already said, we would uh, spur each other on. We would encourage each other day after day. As long as it's called today, lest any of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Thank you for these men. And whatever you've done to get them here this morning, teach us now. Amen. Well, all right. What we are in the middle of is looking at some of the things which, like I said, hinder us, challenges that we face. Let's just dive right into that little sheet that I've given you. And look at that little um, statement there on the top. And that is just simply this. The reality of life in this world is that we have all been disappointed or wounded. Disappointed and wounded are the two things that I'd like you to write down there in ways that challenge. But I want to start now. I'm going to say it again. Because we've been disappointed or wounded, it doesn't mean we are necessarily controlled by these things. And we still can have the ability to live strong, healthy, and productive lives. It's important that we understand why we are the way we are, but that does not equal who we have to be. And the truth is, you will be what you are now becoming. At any given moment, you're either moving forward or you're beginning to atrophy and rot and slide back. And so the question is, what are some of the things maybe that, that don't only make it difficult for you to be a man, but what are the things that make it difficult for us to become men? What are the things that are threatening and challenging us and hindering us now? And what are we going to do about it? You will be what you are now becoming. So what I've been doing here is this last two weeks, and then again today, I've been talking about things that make it difficult for us to become. There are wounds or challenges. I talked about the societal wound on the first week and focused largely on that the kind of changes and shifts in our um, sociological world that are out there. I talked about how a lot of us last week, and um, we focused on dad and how not having the role model that um, God intended, where men can teach men what it means to live honorable, noble, courageous lives that are productive, that contribute, that cherish and cultivate, that are uh, producers that are tender warriors, how when that wound, when that role model, when that teacher is not there, it produces deep pain and deep need. Now, I'm going to go another angle today, and why don't we just say this, if the father wound is like a bullwhip, I mean, if it's like a machete, if it's like a club upside the head, this wound is more of a razor, it's a paper cut. It's painful, it's not nearly as... um, overwhelming in some ways but it's just 
is just as limiting. And I think a razor is a better statement than a paper cut. Paper cut's just an annoyance. This can cause you to slowly bleed to death. You don't even know why the life is coming out of you. Let me uh, just start by sharing with you. There was an article um, about two years ago that showed up in the New York Times Weekend Magazine. It was called, uh, What is it about 20-somethings? Why are so many people in their 20s taking so long to grow up? And uh, one guy reflected on that a little bit. And uh, he came up with a phrase that we've got a bunch of, and he was talking specifically about his church. He said, well, the problem is, is in my church, I've got a bunch of boys who can shave. I don't have men. And he uh, wrote this, and I thought this was pretty uh, insightful. He said, you know, Paul said, when I was a child, I acted like a child. And I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. He didn't write that. Paul did. But the idea is that when we grow up, we're to put childish things behind us. Now, now that, that's talking even about spiritual understanding there, ultimately, in its truest context in 1 Corinthians 13. But it's also true of how we are to develop. We're supposed to move from boyhood right to manhood. There is not this long adolescence period that's supposed to limp through your 20s when you complete, you know, uh, every level in Halo and um, whatever Xbox game you're in the middle of, and somehow you get your man card at that point. You're not supposed to uh, be successful in a bunch of fantasy relationships with porn before you can then move into a real relationship with a woman. That, that, that's not what men do. It was funny, my, my, um, my sixth grade boy yesterday got an invitation to a bar mitzvah. And he walks in, he said, Dad, what's a bar mitzvah? And I told him, it's a, it's a ceremony when you move into manhood. And it happened within Jewish society when you were 13, when you became a son of the law, bar, son, mitzvah of the law, basically. In other words, you're old enough now, you've been taught and trained, you've been schooled in uh, responsibility and truth, and it's time now for you to act like a man. That was 13. We've got guys that are 23 and 33 that are shaving and way too often reproducing that are still not men, and they have no accountability and law in their life. Why is that? Let me read you this one little thing you know, about not moving forward. The marketing sweet spot is this world of perpetual adolescence. It really is made up more about childish behavior and consumerism. The marketing uh, people love this. It's a sweet spot for many companies and in young men ages 18 to 34. These guys don't know what it means to be a man, and so marketers fill the void with products that define manhood by what you consume rather than what you produce. The tough retrosexual guys consume women. Porn, alcohol, drugs, television, music, video games, toys, cars, sports, and fantasy leagues. As if being, uh, as if a man is defined by how much meat you can shove through your colon, how many beers you can pound, how fast you can drive, how stinky you can fart, how hard you can hit, how far you can spit, how loud you can belch, and how big your truck is. The artsy, techy, metrosexual types consume clothes, decaf lattes, shoes, gadgets, cars, not trucks, furniture, hair products, and underwear with the names of very important people in the waistband. For them, manhood means being in touch with one's feelings, wardrobe, and appearance. Now watch this. This is what I was going to talk about today, and he captures it as well. A legion of moms and girlfriends enable these boys who can shave. They pay his bills, pick up his messes, loan him the car, refill his sippy cup with beer and martinis, depending upon his preference. Girlfriends, gal friends with benefits, and miscellaneous other mammies, nannies for men, need to know this. You want a guy you can marry and have babies with? then you don't want to marry a guy who's a baby. Men are supposed to be producers, not just consumers. You're defined by the legacy, the life, and the fruit that 
come out of you, not by what you take in, but most guys are just consumers. What happens if you walk into the church and try and find out what a man looks like? First of all, you're not going to find a lot of guys in most evangelical churches. The least likely person to see in church is a single 20-something male. He is as rare at church as a vegan at a steakhouse. In the world, boys who can shave are children who are consumers. In the church, boys who can shave are cowards who are complainers. A buddy of mine calls them even jellyfish because they have no backbone. They don't declare a major, a church, a theology, or a fiancé. They don't want to fail, and they think if they don't try, they can't fail. And by definition, that's a failure. Now that is well said. I want to talk today about this this third wound, this third challenge that we have that makes us these kind of men. And the reality is there is something in our society, something in our way, something in our world that can make it difficult for us to be these kind of men But difficulty does not mean destination. And that is what men do. Remember our whole verse that we're focusing on the midst of this in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be confident men. Men of faith, not men who are victims to imperfect dads, imperfect moms, and imperfect societies. What God is doing is he is putting men back into the world that have met him and are going to restore order and beauty, not be victim to chaos and drifting ideas. Act like men. Be strong. And let everything you do be done in love. Tender warrior. Strength and sensitivity are not to be polar opposites. They're not mutually exclusive. What says in the scripture, when we beheld the dignity of God, the perfect man, he was full of grace and truth. Not one at the expense of the other. What you find, though, is that one of the things that hinders us is we run into people that in their own brokenness and neediness either abuse us, abandon us, or enable us. Their life is not found in the thing where, uh, in the person, in the truth, where life can ultimately be found, and so they, they use you, they, they, they raise you to meet some need, or they try and shape you into that thing which will be a source of life to them. And every time we try and create life apart from the way God says we should create life, it always turns into a monster. This is why Uh, Mary Shelley's classic Frankenstein is so enduring. The truth that is there when man tries to create life, make a perfect man, and assemble these parts that we think will make them work, it never really works out for us. It turns into this thing which we fear and loathe, not this thing that we love and need. Now let me just touch back on again why this thing that I'm going to focus on today I think is there. And it's going to come back to men. It's going to come back to our absence in general in society and what that creates society in society and that society goes for and tries to replace it with. Um, We have a lot of dads who make similar mistakes as girlfriends and moms make. And there's a lot of dads that get involved in trying to um, be their son's buddy because they never really had a friend or they don't know how to be a man. One of my uh, favorite little things that I go back and I read from time to time, actually is on the back of a a little baseball card, a friend of mine who played for a while, um, who's now the FCA director in a a different town, 
where he actually played Major League Baseball, he hands out a little card, not with the stats on the back, but with this little thing on the back. And it says this, Dear Son, as long as you live in this house, you're going to follow the rules. When you have your own house, you can make your own rules. In this house, we don't have a democracy. I didn't campaign to be your father. I didn't, you didn't vote for me. We are father and son by the grace of God. And I accept that privilege and responsibility. In accepting it, I have the obligation to perform the role of father. I am not your pal. Our ages are too different. We can share many things, but we are not pals. I am your father. This is a hundred times more than what a pal is. I am also your friend. But we are on entirely different levels. You will do in this house, as I say, and you cannot question me because whatever I ask you to do is motivated by love. This will be hard for you to understand until you have a son of your own. But until then, trust me. You see, we don't have a lot of dads that are leading like that. We've got a lot of dads that desperately need their son's approval and can't stand for a minute their son to say, Man, you're awful. You don't know, man. You don't know how to love me. And so we cave. And even if we're physically present, we're absent from playing the role that God wants us to play. Let me just tell you something. One of the things I say often about leadership is leadership is a commitment to being misunderstood. It's just going to happen. People are going to misjudge your motives and they're going to misjudge why you do some things. And listen, sometimes we do some things because we're tired and impulsive and given to anger. And when we do that, we ought to own it. But other times, even when you're doing it out of love and wisdom, because you've taken the long view, and it's your job to restrain people from an entitlement world. They may not want to elect you, but as that thing well said, this is not a democracy. Luckily, we can't vote into people that will enslave us to our own desires. But so many daddies develop sons who think if they just pitch the right fit, manipulate the right way, that they can always get what they want. And if you have been around long enough to know that getting what you want doesn't always work out well for you, you know that you need a dad. You need somebody whose life is founded on truth, who stands strong, firm, and let everything he does is done in love. But there are lots of dads that aren't there. We talked about this last week. I'll just make one last little statement about this because it really sets up where I'm going today. You know, I've mentioned before, there was a uh, guy named Al McDonald who was uh, at one point, uh, you know, in different presidential cabinets. He was the leader of one of the largest consulting companies in the world. But he still had this emptiness in his heart. And he decided to go back and look at a lot of areas in his life that um, contributed to this emptiness, this longing, and try and find out where the thing was that was going to really fulfill him in a way that tremendous success and wealth, power and prestige never could. And so one of the things he did is he went back to his kids and he just said, hey kids, I want you to write me a letter talking about your relationship with your dad. And he said it was the most humbling thing he'd ever done because most of his kids just wrote back his dad, we don't have a relationship. There is no relationship. Now listen, he didn't divorce mama. You don't need to divorce mama always to be an absent daddy. In fact, one of the things I'm going to talk about today is a lot of the women that are um, raising us are really married single moms. In, In the inner city, in a lot of places, you're going to find dads that really physically aren't there. They're daddy babies. They're not fathers. And here, in the suburbs, what you've got is guys that maybe don't divorce as much or don't, aren't daddy babies, they don't have kids and move on, but they're not physically present. And so we've got a lot of married single mamas in the suburbs. And they can be just as dysfunctional and can be just as tragic. 
God intends that dads are there and present and leading and loving and providing and going to war and modeling. And when they're not there, it creates a chasm, not just in the boy, but in the family. And what you've got sometimes is a real dysfunction. Now, let me just say this to you. Let me read just a little article here. came from Men's Health Magazine a few years back, about nine years ago. Look what it said. It said, by the year 2013, that's just a year from now, it says that female college grads will outnumber men getting degrees by three to two. That means for every entry-level job, we'll be outnumbered by women who are just as hungry to get their feet in the door. Is this a crisis for men? No. But it does mean we need to find a new way to measure our suitability for the opposite sex. In other words, traditional male roles aren't shifting. They have shifted. And if it's not stability, a home, and the comfort of a warm paycheck that women will need from us, he says, will we'll want from us anymore, what do we have to offer? See, the, the idea, the lie was that that's all that women ever wanted was a home and a paycheck. And what he was observing is that women are now going to be just as employable and just as employed and just as compensated as men. And so if you think that women need you so they can eat, you're wrong in 2013. And I will tell you again and again, I find, um, you know, a lot of women, the reason they stay married is because they don't know where, where to eat because they let this guy provide for them for a while. And what a lot of women do, if they can find some money, they are gone. That's why you see even more divorces in homes where mom and dad never really let their little girl leave and they want to fund her away from that unhealth that's in that family. And so she's independently wealthy. And so she is independent of the man. She never leaves and cleaves and they've never become one flesh. Now, let's just say this problem isn't that mom and dad are well-funded the problem is that often she never married a man that can lead her probably one of the reasons that man picked her out because he didn't have the sense to know what god said is the kind of woman you should look for when you're a real man and she didn't know what kind of man to look for when you're a real woman there's something more we can offer we can offer care honor nobility value leadership protection partner a tender warrior as i said that's what they want I like this little comment here by David Blankenshorn. The most urgent domestic challenge facing the United States at the close of the 20th century is the recreation of fatherhood as a vital social role for men. And he wrote a little book called Fatherless America and the Repercussions, much of which I pulled from for last week. So what we're looking at here, guys, and you see it right there, is for men to understand what it means to act like men, they've got to face the realities that affect why they are the way they are, including society. That was what we talked about the first week, absent or abusive dads. That's what we talked about the second week. And then this week we're going to talk about enabling or overbearing mamas. A mom that is always, if you will, rescuing their little boy or smothering him with love. Now, I'm not saying if you got a mom like this, you're necessarily going to grow up like Norman Bates where you never can leave her, where you'll stuff her and move her around the house and kill any woman that comes and threatens her domain. But I'm not saying you won't either. But what I want to do is just give you a little glimpse here. We'll have a little fun. There was a, a, a sitcom over the last decade that captured this kind of mom as well as anything I've ever seen. You're going to recognize it right away. Let's watch a little clip from it, and then we'll talk some more. Check this out. You're hungry, dear. Yeah. I got pancakes. Yeah, I'm late for work. All right. Well, can I get him to go? Yeah, give me a second. Okay, let's go, Frank. Kitchen isn't open all day. Unlike your mouth. <laughs> hey, what was with all that racket last night? What racket? 
Like around nine, I heard your girlfriend talking. Amy talking is racket? She's not talking to me, so yeah, racket. So I'm not allowed to talk to people anymore. Of course you are, dear. By the way, I agree with what Amy was saying. You are not pathetic. You were spying on us? I was passing an air vent. You're so cute, Yogi. <laughs> she calls you Yogi. You got you got some uh, syrup on your chin. Do you call her Boo Boo? <laughs> let me get. Let me get. No, stop it, Ma. Stop fiddling. No, you stop no, it. No, you stop it. Okay, that's it. it. All right, I'm moving out. Oh, moving out. <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> What are you going to do, tie a little polka dot hanky around a stick and hop a freight train? I have a car. You can stop laughing now, Ma. Hey, do it. Do it, man. Go. And you, you be quiet. Robbie's very happy here. You stay with your mother, honey. You'll be fine. He's not going anywhere. Oh, yes, I am. Let's remember what happened the last time you, you, you pulled a stunt like this. I got married, Ma. Mm -hmm. Okay? I moved out because I got married. Mm -hmm. That's right. You got married. And what happened with that? <laughs> you lost all your money to that awful woman with the three different eyeshadows. I will say that Joni had a nice caboose. Joanne, Dad. Her name was Joanne, right? Either way, that train's not pulling back in the station. The point is, you were miserable. And we welcomed you back into this house. And we made you whole again. Remember that? Yeah. And now you want to go out on your own again? Is that really the smartest thing? Good. Craziness settled. Oh, man. Some of y'all have breakfast with mom this morning? There's a laughter familiarity in there. That is, a, that is a woman that doesn't have a man in her life. He's got a stand-up comic sitting next to her, commenting about her son's ex-wife. you know, wife. It's uh, you know, demeaning and cutting and funny. But not a guy that a woman can really yoke with, and so she needs her boys. And so she pours herself into her boys. Make them whole. Raise them to be the kind of man she can put up with. Like a little razor cut. Not nearly as traumatic in its initial strike, but you will bleed to death. Now I want to trace this back and just say a lot of the reason that's there is because, like I said, men aren't there for the woman to bond with, but it doesn't give an excuse. Ultimately, we're not here to talk about mama. We're here to talk about us and what we've got to do in light of that. But let's just acknowledge some of what is there. I, I actually, you know, uh, it was no secret that we were going to do this for a number of weeks. And so uh, a lot of gals uh, emailed me prior to the start of this thing. Some of your wives, I'm sure. Some of your ex-wives. Some of the women that want to be a wife one day. I got one said this. If you want my thoughts on men in society, it's this. Men stopped being men, so women had to become both the man and the woman, which actually means women are no longer being women. We are just this ineffective hybrid. 
If men will not be the men, we as women have to try. We have sons to raise. So we inexpertly try to tell our sons what it means to be a man while being completely incapable of showing them. And all around them are examples of men that are not men at all. What my sons have learned is this. Men leave. We have a lost society because men have left. Now those weren't my ideas. That was written by one of your estranged wives. And probably about 75 of you think it was yours. And it doesn't matter if your wife wrote it or not, or if you're still married, but to a single married mom. What we're here to talk about is what it takes for us to be men. Let's take a look at this. Here's the problem is that often we form an unhealthy emotional intimacy with mom. And again, even when it's created unintentionally, it can affect our healthy development as men. Most men today grow up in a world dominated by women. One of the things that happened when we started Watermark, and I'm not kidding you, I thought, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to, first of all, I don't want to manage a weekly average meeting of bored adults. And I certainly don't want to do it and call it church when it's really a bunch of junior league women who happen to come not just to junior league, but who drag their husband passively along on Sundays. I had no interest in that. That's why we don't define what we do here at Watermark, but what we do when we gather on Sunday mornings. Sunday morning is a time for us to be reminded of who we are as we remember who our God is and that he loves us and draws us back into relationship with him. Like my friend wrote earlier in his deal, you want to find a place that is uh, vacant of men just walk into the average church. Now, that's not necessarily true here at Watermark, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of young men here. There's a lot of men here. A lot of guys have said, hey, this is a church where I can be a man. That's great. That's awesome. But we also have a lot of men that are coming in here that have never really been taught to be men. So we're not here to scold each other. We're here to acknowledge why that is and encourage each other, spur each other on, help us live lives of faith, help us own our mistakes, our failures, and to move forward. And so one of the things we're doing is we're just acknowledging right here that there is this often unhealthy attachment that we kind of like and hate all at once. So the effects of this kind of relationship with mom of an enabling, enmeshed, helicopter mom, they are subtle in disguise. I think those are your next blanks right there. They're not as overwhelming. As I said, they're not a club upside the head. They're not this gaping hole. But there's something that is not as it should be. It's not a wound caused by abuse or neglect. But it's a wound disguised as care and overattention. You know what the difference between a, a, a Rottweiler and an overbearing mom is, don't you? Eventually, the Rottweiler will let go. All right? But when mama doesn't have a man who is there that she loves and bond with and encourages her and uses all her dignity and glory and necessary role and that, that gives her value and purpose... And wholeness, she'll often try and raise that man. And she didn't want to lose him to some other woman with three shades of mascara who won't do as good a job as she will do. That's why one of the worst things you can do, man, is if if you're struggling in a relationship in your marriage, is to go back home to mom and dad and say, what do you think I should do? Because unless you got really, really healthy parents, 
the problem will not start with the person who had their last name for decades. And they're going to rescue you from that so they can make you whole again. No, no, no. This wound looks like love, but it really feels a lot like control. And as I said, it starts, you know, with, a, with a, an absent daddy. A woman that needs you to validate her and love her and be there. A woman that says, like I said, I'll raise me a man that will love me right. It is inflicted by needy and hurting moms. Most of them married single moms. Some moms are a little ignorant. They think they're helping them sons when they're really hurting them. Some of them, though, are, are, are just hurting and alone. And they can't deal with not just the postpartum blues that they had when the, when the little um, umbilical cord was cut, but the, the post-power blues when a, when a young son should naturally separate from his mom. Folks that study child development will tell you those first zero to three years, mom and dad both are highly there. But from four to six, four to ten rather, those six years is when a son should start to pull away, specifically a son, pull away from mom a little bit more and start to to, to have an interaction with a dad where, where his bond with mom begins to separate and where he's learning what it means to be a man. Now listen, when he's hurt, when he's tender, as Ricky Shillette said, I mentioned you last week, you go back and listen to uh, my friend Ricky Shillette's message that he just recently did at the porch where he talked a lot about um, the, the brokenness in our formation, specifically people with gender issues. And he deals with this very, very, very well. You know, uh, boys, when they're hurt, when they're hungry, they want to go to mom, but what they really want to do is go with dad and they want to go kill something. They want to they bond with dad. And if dad's never there to bond with, and mom just keeps saying, come here with me, he learns a lot about how to relate to life by being um, mentored and modeled by a woman who will hover over him and have her needs met by the boy that is there. Let's read this little thing down there together. When moms lead the family because the fathers fail to lead, either by absenting themselves from the home or by taking a passive role, boys are deprived of the most important natural model of manliness. Growing up mainly under the supervision of women, many experience insecurity over their identity as men. One tendency for boys growing up in such circumstances is to reel against women who are authorities over them and become socially disruptive, irresponsible in family and work commitments, overly assertive about their manly prowess, especially in sexual areas, or leading lives characterized by violence and crime, alcoholism, and other addictions. Remember what I said earlier? There's two different kinds of men that are shaving, and boys that are shaving. Either the macho guy or the overly sensitive guy. The guy that drives trucks or would never drive a truck. Another tendency for young men is to overly identify with the adult woman who are authorities in their lives and learn to behave and react in ways that are more appropriate to women than to men. To the extent that young males take their either option, they do not learn the discipline, the responsibility, and the character involved in being a man. Well said. So what is the result? The result is the feminization of men. Women may not come out and say stuff like, don't you grow to be an idiot like your daddy. But they will certainly imply it. Like the little boy who walked home from school and uh, told his mom, mom, I got, I got a role in the play. And she said, what'd you do? She goes, well, we're doing this play and it's a family and I'm the husband. She said, you go right back there and you tell your teacher you want a speaking part. All right. 
because you've got a passive silent daddy at home and so you've got the feminization of men we don't know how to be men boys that are never told to jump mom lets them go out and ride their bike and it looks like they're gone to war in the medieval times by the time they're all buckled up and padded got to protect my little man since the one I'm living with I got to make sure this one's alive secondly indecisiveness in men don't disappoint your mommy think how I would feel if you did that men that have no courage because they don't want to hurt the person that they bonded with the only person who in an unhealthy way needed them right the classic uh, story of a of a, a, a you know a mom that that just always is manipulating always controlling always saying things and you've never really cut the cord it's an unhealthy child focused way of parenting and it's really not parenting at all it's developing uh, a relationship with somebody that you think can meet your need in relationship so this guy calls his mom and she says how you doing mom he goes well i'm not doing very good sweetie i haven't eaten for almost a week well mom why, why haven't you eaten for a week well, because, sweetie, you know, I, I love you, and uh, when you called, I didn't want my mouth to be full. Just, you know, I, I, this, this idea that whatever they say, and that's it, supposed to be a joke, it wasn't funny at all, I'll acknowledge that. <laughs> is, that is that there's just this controlling mom that just, you know, it's something Marie would say to Robert. Oh, sweetie, you know, I just am so excited to talk to you. I don't, I don't want to eat because I don't want my mouth to be full when you want to engage me. These kind of men look to their wives to play the role that mom played, and this is why. You know, here's the thing. Women love these kind of men and hate them all at once. Because at first, it's like, hey, man, this guy needs me. He really wants me. But after a while, they're like, you know what? I wouldn't mind if he did something around here and contributed instead of just consume me sexually, consume my food, consume my rent money. But a lot of these guys, when they get married, they go, well, I want you to treat me just like mom treated me. And that's not what wives are looking to do. Margot Kaufman said this, the only thing worse than a man you can't control is a man you can. You hear gals say stuff like this, man, all the good men are dating each other. Guys that work are clean, care, sensitive, will engage you. Yeah, you know, I, you know I've, I've had in some ways, you know, because a lot of guys, we think we're supposed to go out there and be men, kind of come home and be served. There's a story of a little kid who, you know, came home, he was kind of, he said, you know, mom, can I have some ice cream? He said, no, son, we're not going to have some ice cream. So he kind of was moping around. She goes, well, what's wrong? He goes, I don't know what to do. She goes, well, come on, I'll, I'll play with you. What do you want to play? He goes, I don't know. Let's, let's play house. She goes, okay, let's play house. So the little guy went over and sat down and, uh, in the chair. His dad sits in. He grabbed the remote, turned the TV on. And she goes, honey, what are you doing? He said, shut up and get that kid some ice cream. <laughs> See, that is funny. But my wife has said this to me in a way of saying, I don't want you to sit down and tell me to shut up, which I'm smart enough not to do, and tell her what I want. But I, my, my wife has said this to me sometimes. She goes, I need to get me a wife. And what she was saying 
I need somebody that's going to throw in around here a little bit. And when I hear that from her, I hear her saying, hey, man, this is your world. I'm just living in it, which is another mistake that men make. I want somebody who also is going to help me cultivate order and beauty in this chaotic and formless home. I wouldn't mind if you did it and didn't just go out and conquer the world and were absent here. This uh, quote by somebody there I like, I try to keep people who lie, break promises, and need a 24-hour mom to a minimum, and well, they should. What women want is a lover, a leader, a completer, a protector, somebody who will honor, value, and cherish them. If you don't have a mom that lets you go, it's going to create all kinds of problems. It's going to create wild women, like I I said uh, earlier in that one comment from somebody who wrote me, impassive men, angry women. Because they've got selfish, abusive men. Um, Paul Meyer wrote a book called Child Rearing and Personality Development. He went through and he just, based on years of observing dysfunction in men and children specifically, he said this, you want to know how to develop a drug addict or an alcoholic son? Number one, spoil them. Give him everything he wants as you can afford it and probably even more than you can afford. Two, when he does wrong, you may nag him, but never spank him. Three, foster his dependence on you so drugs or alcohol can later replace you when he is older. In other words, another dealing with the real world is bring him back to mama's bosom. Pat his little head and say it's going to be okay. And then when you're not there, let a bottle of wild turkey or Jack Daniels be his bosom. Something that will comfort him. Just put your head right here until you just, we'll just rub your little back until you pass out. Protect him from your husband and from those mean teachers who threaten to spank him from time to time. Sue them if you wish. Make all his decisions for him since you're a lot older and wiser than he is. He might make mistakes and learn from them if you don't. Criticize his father openly so your son can lose his own self-respect and confidence. Always bail him out of trouble so he will like you. Besides, he might harm your reputation if he gets a police record. Never let him suffer the consequences of his own behavior. Always step in and solve his problems for him so he can depend on you and run to you when, he, when the going gets tough. When he's older and still hasn't learned how to solve his own problems, he can continue to run from them through heroin or alcohol. Just to play it safe, be sure to dominate your husband and drive him to drink too if you can. Take lots of prescription drugs yourself so that taking non-prescription drugs won't be a major step for him. That's just one man's observation of the dysfunction that keeps coming through his little office. You want to develop a homosexual? He says, start out by following the 10 easy steps to develop an alcoholic and then show love for your son by protecting him very carefully. Don't let him play football or baseball with the other boys. He might get hurt. Don't want to be a, a newspaper boy or stand out in the cold and be a patrol boy. He might catch pneumonia out in the bad weather. Be sure he spends lots of time with you and very little with his father or any other adult male. You want to know how to develop a sociopath? As usually, start with the 10 easy steps for an alcoholic. And then never spank him. Never punish him. Let your child express himself any way he feels. He'll learn from your example how to behave. He doesn't need any discipline. He does what he wants when he wants to. Don't run his life. Let him run yours. Let him manipulate you and play on your guilt if he doesn't get his own way. Remember that thing I read at the first? I'm not your buddy. I'm your dad. Don't enforce the household rules if there are any. That way he'll be able to choose which laws of society he'll be able to break when he's older. And he won't fear the consequences since he has never suffered any. Don't bother him with chores. Do his chores for him. Be sure to give in when he throws a temper tantrum. Believe his lies. Tell a few yourself. Criticize others openly and routinely so you will realize that he's better than everyone else. On and on he goes. Do you see any themes there? Boy, I do. 
So what is the solution? You ready? We, we've created the problem. We've talked about the result of the problem. So, so what are some things that we can do just to deal with this little solution that's out there, uh, this problem that's out there? What's the solution? Number one, face the truth with confidence. Here we go again. You've got to know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. Don't use your past as an excuse. I'll say it again. Just like absent and abusive daddies are a fact, they're not an excuse. Imperfect mamas are a fact. They're not an excuse. A society that is broken is a fact. It's not an excuse. What God does is he inserts you into formlessness and chaos and terror, and he expects you to bring order and beauty to it. That's what men do. That's what God did. And as you will hear well exposited this weekend, that's what image bearers of God do. Instead, exercise faith. Live confident lives. Men with faith who believe they were created to leave, to lead, to love, to provide, and to protect. They're going to be instructed in how to grow, and they're going to live by faith according to it. Number three, gain a clear understanding. Gain a clear understanding of what it means to be a man. And remind yourself who you are ultimately accountable to. And let me just give you a hint. It ain't your mama. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 through 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. The idea there is Paul saying, look, we're going to give an account to ourselves before God. So listen, if you've got a mom that's struggling in some of these areas, don't be abusive towards her, don't be angry towards her, but develop healthy boundaries. Don't let her manipulate you into unhealth. Don't let her twist the verse that says you're supposed to honor your mother. The way you honor your mother is you help her to be the kind of mom that she wants to be. And the way you honor your mother is by being the kind of man that every mom wants. And so you've got to learn what that looks like. Seek counsel. Go to God's word. And with sensitivity and tenderness and care, you lead her. By the way, who is the perfect example of this? It is Jesus, right? He's the perfect example of everything. And what did he do? Um, when he's 12, his mama shows up right there. We just got through reading it in Luke, if you're going through the journey with us. Where is he? He is on point, on purpose, growing as a man, growing in faith, growing in understanding, spending time with men, learning what it means to be a man and honor God. And mama ain't happy. And she shows up, son, why have you treated us this way? I've been looking for you. And he says, why is it you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? Not always your business, mom. I'm doing what I need to do. I'm not just your boy. A little bit later, right? In John 2, the very first time that Jesus um, gave a sign of who he was, mom already knew who he was. And uh, they're at a wedding feast, and mom who's very sensitive and caring, who mom always wants to do the things that are to help other people not feel a sense of um, shame publicly, right? There's, there's a wedding feast going on, and if you ran out of wine at a wedding feast, it was a great societal uh, hurt and shame and, and uh, a mar on your family name. And she walks in and she says, hey, I need you to do something for me. And he looks at her and he just basically says, woman, 
I don't do, do things on your schedule. I love, I respect you, but I'm about what I'm about based on my Father's will, not yours. You don't tell me when I do stuff. I do stuff for my Father's glory. I am your son, but I'm not your boy. A little bit later, talk about unhealthy, I mean, healthy uh, moving on. You know, Jesus is told at one point, man, your mom's out there, your brothers are out there, they think you're crazy. And he says, let me tell you something, who's my mom? Who's my brothers and sisters? I'll tell you this, it's folks who do my father's will. I love my mom, but my mom is not going to set my course. God's going to set my course, and I'm going to be the man that God wants me to be. So I'm going to tell you, learn from this Jesus who is filled with grace and truth. Sensitivity and strength are not mutually exclusive. We are not abusive and we are not weak. We are tender warriors. Start by confessing, acknowledge your history of settling for less than you were created for. Man, it's easy to have somebody else pay your rent. It's easy to live in a fantasy relationship with a woman that says you always did good. It's easy to be around a bunch of other boys that you just kind of, you know, loop through perpetual adolescence focused on your xbox instead of excellence acknowledge that you've been doing that that you're a victim to entitlement enmeshment enablement and so you want more be a man leave your child behind time to grow up and act like men we're going to talk specifically about the greatest hindrance to that next week and it ain't mama's fault it ain't society's fault it ain't daddy's fault i'll tell you what the fault is and we're gonna tell you what the solution is and then we're gonna spend our last week together talking about what it really means to be a man a confident man guys or i says gently but lovingly clearly is the next blank break up with mom start to not marry your mom but start to lead your wife again you gotta have a loving conversation you just gotta say it's time for me you know i don't want an allowance anymore i'll move to a lesser place i'll get a job i will assume responsibility a lot of guys go no no no, i like the way i'm funded you know everybody always thinks we everyone else is a trust baby no one thinks they're a trust baby The truth is a confident man addresses the realities of his past and the responsibilities of the present. Daddies need to call their sons away from their mom and into manhood. They need to give them a masculine vision, an ethic for manhood, a code of honor, a way of life, a cause worth dying for. A godly man is inspiring to other men. And he's endearing to women. He is noble. He is brave. He is honorable. And that's what God wants for you. We're going to have, at the end of our five weeks together, a chance for you to connect with other men and just keep processing through this stuff, to, to learn from them and spur each other on to these things. But until that time, you know, don't wait. If you go, man, I, I've got to get in the game right now. I am, I am frozen you know, uh, in, in a life of entitlement and enablement, and I want out, and I need help, let us help you. I want to remind you that we're not meeting next Thursday. We're taking a week off. Most of us uh, are in some form of spring break, and so I'd encourage you to take next Thursday morning, even if you're not going somewhere, and uh, take your kids for breakfast before you head off to something. Pour into them. Talk about what you're learning. 
model for them something of greatness and then we'll be together two weeks from today as we talk about the biggest wound the biggest threat to us being the men that god wants us to be but guys here's the thing i want to say it to you again i told you i said at the beginning i'll say it again it takes nothing to use these wounds or these threats or these hindrances as an excuse but it takes great courage to face them and slay them and act like men overcome them join a band of brothers they're going to be everything that society wants women want your kids want you want and God intends and we got to stop hiding behind our success and our distractions and stop being overwhelmed by our wounds. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for a chance to be together with men this morning and just talk about these things. We thank you for our imperfect parents. We thank you for um, the fact that no matter how imperfect our parents were, that you are our perfect parent and you are there willing to father us. You love us. You want to rescue us from absent or abusive daddies and you want to rescue us from our own love for enablement and entitlement and any woman that maybe has been in our life or is in our life that is overbearing or enabling or enmeshed with us in a healthy way. Help us to love them, not be angry at them, but help us to be men who learn to live by faith. Men who aren't overly sensitive or men who don't combat the feminization around us by trying to kill it, by being macho, destructive. I pray, Lord, that we would just be your men, filled with grace and truth. Help us to lead and to love and to protect and to compete for good, to, to do war against everything that wounds our glory and the good you intend for us. And I pray that these men would continue to process this with each other. They would run with and to each other in truth and to truth. And as I said, help us to reconcile with our dad. Help us to speak truth to our society. Help us to honor our mom, but help us to break up with them. Make us men. A man that you intended, filled with grace and truth, full with glory. I know that's going to ultimately happen when we are conformed to the image of your son. So help us learn of him. We thank you for this morning in Christ's name. Amen. We'll see you guys. Have a great week.